Well, it's a joy to be back with you uh, this morning. The last time I was here uh, was for Brother Fred's funeral, Um, but it is a joy to be here. I want to say on the front end how much I love this church, Um, and I'm just grateful for my own personal growth, Uh, just the investment that I felt from this church, the way that I felt welcome this week. Thank you, Brother Jacob, Brother Cliff, Brother Henry, the Simpsons. Uh, It's just been a joy uh, to hang out. Students, it's been a joy to hang out with you all weekend long. Uh, I know what it's like in student ministry world, host homes, um, you're the unsung heroes of weekends like this because it doesn't happen uh, without you. Your house is probably a wreck, but it was, it's well worth it. Um, church, I'm looking forward to jumping into God's word with you this morning. Um, we're going to be taking a break from 2 Samuel today, uh, and we're going to be taking a far right turn all the way to 1 John. So we're going to be in the back end of your Bible in 1 John. And as we jump in this morning, I'll give you just a little recap of what your students have already heard this morning, because there are going to be some things that we'll look at as a church this morning that your students have already gotten to hear. Uh, This weekend, the theme was how to hit pause, Um, how to take time to slow down, to seek God through silence and solitude, and by practicing prayer and practicing Bible study. Uh, We've talked about ways that students need to understand the value of hitting pause to slow down in the midst of a really busy schedule, because it's it's, it's hard to be a teenager right now. There's a million things going on. We talked about what it means to hit connect, and we talked about ways that we can practice praying, going before the Lord with adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. We talked about ways to study God's word through the HEAR method, which is to highlight, to explain, to apply, and to respond to God's word. Last night we talked about what it means to hit the play button again because we can't live life on pause. The mission field is calling and we can't remain right where we are. We have to go back to school and for you, you have to go back to the workplace tomorrow and live on mission where you are. And we're going to look at that this morning as well in our own personal lives according to 1 John chapter 1. Now, as you look at 1 John today, it might be helpful to know that while this is a smaller book in the back of your Bible, there are a lot of powerful truths all throughout 1 John. There's not really any sense of order to 1 John. John, I think, just kind of started grabbing post-it notes and said, here's a really good powerful truth here, here's a really good powerful truth here, and then he just kind of slammed them all together to make the letter of 1 John. As we kick off this morning, we're going to be talking about this idea of what it means to live in the light. What it means to live in the light. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that each of you would continually look at ways, maybe to take time to pause yourself, and to say, am I truly living in the light as God has called us to live? As we open there this morning, I do want to tell you just a little personal anecdote about me. Cliff's already mentioned uh, that we have a two-week-old at home. We have two adopted sons, Graham and Mario. They're seven and six. Uh, And then our little girl, Hope, was born on January the 28th. Uh, last night, I was able to get the best three and a half hours of sleep that I have ever gotten. Uh, let me tell you, I'm so thankful. From 2 a.m. to 5.30, I was out. But my wife and I, we are figuring out how to care for our newborn. And one thing we've had to learn how to do is to sleep with the lights on. Uh, because there are times when you have to flip a light on and change a diaper and flip a light on and and feed her, and we're, we're figuring out how to do all of those things. There are times where we just sit there and watch her sleep in envy. Uh, just look at her being all cute sleeping. Um, 
But as we, as we talk about this idea of light and dark, one thing that I've learned over the past two weeks is that babies at two weeks old, they really can't make out shapes yet. They really can see light and they can see dark. They can't really see much outside of that. And if, as we talk about light and darkness today, even at a very early age, that's, that's, a, that's one of the concepts that we can understand. It's pretty, it's pretty clear to understand the difference between living in the light and living in darkness. If you've ever wandered around your house late at night and you stubbed your toe on the coffee table in the dark, you know how valuable it is to turn on the light. Uh, some of us have gotten close to losing our salvation at moments like that. But as we talk about living in the light today, we're talking about living the light in a spiritual sense. And we're going to be asking that question, what does it mean to walk in the light? It's so much easier to live in the light. It's so much easier to live with the light on. Well, let's look at a little bit of background about 1 John. We know a little bit about 1 John. We know that most scholars say that the author was indeed John, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James, who wrote 1 John. John also wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as Revelation. This is the same John who's referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved, or the beloved disciple. He was the one who reclined next to Jesus at the Last Supper. He's the one who stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. He was told by Jesus to care for his mother Mary, who, was, who witnessed the empty tomb on the first Easter morning. He was also one who spoke, listened to, and ate breakfast with Jesus at the lakeside with the resurrected Jesus. So this guy is highly qualified. This guy, John, John is highly qualified to write of what he and others had seen and heard and gazed upon and touched. As Jesus' beloved disciple, he's also well-suited to plumb the depth of, of, of the meaning of Jesus' coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, his intercessory ministry at the right hand of the Father, his eventual return, all which are covered in 1 John. All matters playing a role in the witness and instruction and admission of this highly rich and concentrated letter. Now, why did he write 1 John? That's the last piece of background that we'll look at before we jump into the text. But at this point in 1 John, the early church is just getting rolling. They're just figuring out how to do stuff. They haven't really started business meetings yet. They don't really have a finance committee yet at this point. They're just figuring out how, how, do, we, how do we make disciples? And at this point in the story, at this point in the, in the narrative, there are several false teachers. False teachers who are selling a different message. They're gaining notoriety at this point. They're being praised and listened to all the while while teaching a false gospel. They're, getting, they're gaining some recognition. They're gaining some fame. But they're also confusing new believers and new people along the way. So John writes 1 John to set the record straight. He writes this letter to fight against the hype of, uh, of what these false teachers are, are, are selling, and he, and he reassures believers, and he reminds them of what truly following Christ is all about. So let's look at the text together. We're going to look at the first four verses. We're going to look at all of chapter one in our time together this morning. But in verse one, it says, this is that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched this, we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. 
you're the type that writes in the margins of your Bible, we see that this letter begins with a proclamation. John writes in such a way that is very similar to the Gospel of John. He begins by talking about the word of life. He clearly communicates a message that says several things about the word. And friends, as we gather together this morning around God's word, as we've already read it, as we've already prayed, as we've already worshipped, my prayer for you today, as we leave this place, as we exit out of this room and we head out into the mission field, my prayer for you is that you would cling to Jesus and you would cling to his word as if they were enough. As if they were enough. Because oftentimes in our lives we think that there are necessary supplements and things that we have to add on top of just being with Jesus and spending time in his word. My prayer for you today is that you would cling to that. There are several truths about the word of life in these first couple of verses. And in these first verses, in verse 1, we see that John communicates that the word of life is from the beginning. And we know that the word of life, which was from the beginning, that, that implies something early on for us, that the word of life stays the same. It stays the same. It was from the very beginning. And since it was from the beginning, the, the, the truth for us this morning, the implication is that the word of God has never changed. The gospel has never changed. The God who loves us has never changed. His love for us has never changed. That's the truth that some of us should cling to today. That in and of itself, that the word of God has never changed. He loves us, and he's going to continue to. Secondly, we see that the word of life, this message of hope, the message of Christianity, it has stood The test of time. Not only is it from the beginning, it is also something people have gotten to interact with through every generation. Prophecies have been fulfilled. The word is dependable since people were able to interact with the human version of the word over 2,000 years ago. In the second half of verse 1 and into verse 2, we see John has, has heard, he's looked at, he's seen, he's touched the word of life. John has heard the Lord speak, he's heard parables, he's heard sermons, he's gotten to participate in private conversation and counsel with Jesus Christ. How lucky of a dude is that, right? He got to walk with him, and friends, John is clearly communicating that he has good news. And not only does he have good news, he has seen good news in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And not only that, John continues talking about the word of life in the present sense in verse 2, In verse 3, he begins by making a proclamation, telling everyone, hey, listen up. And then he clarifies his purpose. We see the third thing that John brings up about the word of life is that it has to be shared. It has to be shared. He says things like in verse 2, we testify to it. In other words, we want others to know about it. And why does he want others to know about it? It's so that they can be in on it. As soon as we talked about this last night, that we have a hope. We have a message of hope that we do not want to keep to ourselves. Students, I challenge you this weekend, as you head to school tomorrow, this is me giving you a chance to wake up to. I know it's been a long night. As you head to school tomorrow, you have a hope that you do not keep to yourself. Church, you have a hope that you do not keep to yourself. You have good news. You have interacted with good news, and his name is Jesus, and that is not something you keep to yourself. Word of life was meant to be shared, and it's meant for others to be in on the inside of it. This is a great way to start a letter, because John basically says here, hey, I've got some great news. This is amazing news. It's, it's news that, it's been here before day one was even a concept. I've heard this good news, I've met this good news, and I, now, I want you to hear 
this good news, not only do I want you to hear it, I want you to cherish it, I want your life to be transformed because of it. Let's build relationships around this good news, let's gather around this good news, let's have fellowship around this good news, because not only do we need to gather around it, let's share this good news, because at the end of the day, this good news will make our time on earth worthwhile and full of purpose. Check out verse 4. It says, we write this to make our joy complete. John is speaking on behalf of true believers in Jesus. That's why it says we there. He's talking about the collective body. Hey, if you'll grab hold of this, the reason we're telling you this is because that's what brings us joy. He's talking about people that have already experienced the good news. They've already experienced the grace of Jesus. And he wants things to come full circle. And so he says, you know what? The word of life That's where our joy comes from. Church, the the fourth thing I'll share with you about the word of life, that beyond the fact that it's it's never changed, it stood the test of time, it has to be shared, is that it also supplies our joy. The word supplies our joy. Friends, we obtain joy by coming to know Jesus and his gospel. That's where our joy comes from. And what do I mean by joy? uh, We use that word pretty flippantly in church. Because joy can kind of mean a bunch of stuff. We, just, we sing about it at Christmas time, joy to the world. Joy is a hard word to define sometimes, but I think it's important to clarify the difference between happiness and joy. It's important to clarify the difference. See, the scripture uses the word joy here where culture oftentimes will use the word happiness. Happiness and joy are both feelings, they're both emotions, but happiness, church, is circumstantial. For example, you're happy when you get a good grade on a test, or you do well in a sport, or you do well at work, or the Vols win on Saturdays. If you're an Alabama fan, we will pray for you. Joy is in our spirit. There's a difference. Happiness is momentary. It's fleeting. It depends upon your circumstances. But church, joy is a constant choice. Joy can exist whether our circumstances are good or not, whether we are happy or not. Therefore, our definition of joy is this. It's a lasting emotion that comes from the choice to confidently trust that God will fulfill his promises. I believe that, that God will continue to fulfill his promises. There are prophecies that have been filled all throughout the New Testament, and we see that God is faithful. We're going to read about that later on this morning. But the more that we place our confidence and trust in Jesus, that's where our joy comes from. That's how we obtain joy. For those of you who might not know about our daughter, her entry into the world was a little rocky. Uh, She was born on a Saturday, January 28th. Um, We had found out Thursday at a a prenatal visit. She was born about three weeks early. We had found about three days prior that she had a heart arrhythmia. What that means is that basically her heart throws another beat in there that's not supposed to be there. And we went into the hospital and, and, and they ended up having to do an emergency C-section to, to get Hope out into the world. And they, they took her straight from the OR to the NICU. And while we were in the NICU, my wife was being tended to. She was recovering from her C-section. The, our, our daughter was in the NICU in another room and I was just pacing back and forth. Checking on mama, checking on baby, checking on mama, checking on baby. And then on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, they, they make the decision that her arrhythmia, we're not really sure how to monitor her and care for her, her here, so we're going to transport her. 
And so we got the really gut-wrenching news that we were going to have to transport our daughter to Vanderbilt. And that was, that was for me, was, that was a really intense um, dad moment uh, for me. Because at that point, I, I had a decision. I, I, I didn't really know how things were going to turn out. I didn't really know how things were going to go. I just knew that our daughter was going to be at Vanderbilt. And I knew that my wife was going to be in Jackson. And I knew that I was going to have to trust the Lord because I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a cardiologist. People would ask, ask us all the time, hey, what, do y'all need anything right when the baby was born? Because they're getting ready to get the meal trains and things started. And when people are asking, hey, do y'all need anything? I'm like, yeah, do you have any experience in cardiology? Uh, because that's what I'm looking for right now is, some, is some, some guidance and assistance and obviously prayer. But in light of this weekend, just in preparation for today, I was able to communicate to my own parents who were in Jackson caring for our boys. I was able to communicate to them that I had this sense that everything was going to be okay. Not everything was going to be okay in the sense that, yeah, I know for sure hope was going to come out on the other side of this. This will be a distant memory. But no matter what happened, I had some confidence that the Lord was going to have his way. I had made my peace that whatever the Lord was going to do, that was going to be okay. And in the midst of a difficult week, I felt like I was able to communicate with doctors and nurses and people back in Jackson with this unstoppable optimism. Not that, I know the, not that I knew the direction of, of her progress. There were often times where I would say, hey, do we have an update? Do we have an update? And they'd say, no, we're just monitoring her. I hated that word by the end of the week. But I'll tell you this, friends. Our, our joy doesn't come from our knowledge of our direction or our earthly destination. I think sometimes we're so eager to know what's going to happen next. We're so eager to know kind of, okay, what's God's will for my life? What are the next steps what is the next thing? If I can just know where we're going, if I can just find out about the direction that, that I'm supposed to go, then I'll have joy. Church, hear me on this. Joy does not come from your de- knowing your destination or knowing your direction. Joy comes from your knowledge of your position. Your position that you are sitting right in the hands of your heavenly Father and that he's got you. That's where our joy comes from. Our, we acknowledge our spiritual position when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. I'll spare you singing the lyrics, but the song Waymaker is so true that God is a waymaker. He is a miracle worker. He is a promise keeper, and he is our light in the darkness. Let's continue to move on because John begins in the second half of chapter one with a message about what the word of life is all about. John starts with a very clear message about what we're supposed to do as followers of God. Look at how he continues in verse 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. It speaks to the holiness of who God is. There are two major themes all throughout 1 John. If you were taking a New Testament class right now, they would tell you that there were two themes. You see, in the, in the first three chapters of 1 John, we see that this overarching theme that God is light. In chapters 4 and 5, we see that God is is love. But tonight, is, uh, this morning, as we look at chapter one, we see that God is light. And this statement that God is light means so much, but it clearly tells us some of the other truths that are mentioned in John's gospel. We see that God being light, it symbolizes his, both his knowledge, his purity. It symbolizes that he is holy, that he's spiritually perfect, he's morally excellent. That's to give us confidence in who we serve and who we worship. 
We know this as well from the second half of verse 5, which says that in him there is no darkness at all. And this truth has some important implications for us as people. It leads us to three if we claim, or if your Bible says if we say statements in the upcoming verses. Check out verses 6 and 7. The first if we claim we see here is in verse 6. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But... If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What great news. We grow numb to hearing things like that over and over and over again. And my prayer, church, is that you would not grow numb to the truth and the hope that you have been forgiven. That Christ has died on the cross for your sins. This is where you see the first of those if we claim statements. And this walking in the light for us, as we're challenged to do, in verse 6, what that means is that we're called to reflect God's perfection. What does that mean? Are we supposed to be perfect? No. But people are not supposed to look at us and see all of our accolades and see all of our accomplishments. Students have heard this week in and week, all, session in and session out, that we are called to make God famous. People are supposed to look at us and see Jesus. Not that they would see our accolades, not that they would see what we bring to the table, but they would look at us and see Jesus. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be perfect. We can't attain that. But we can choose to live in the light instead of darkness. We can choose to say that we're not going to live in sin, but instead we're going to live purified. We're going to seek to be sanctified and continue to try to pursue holiness in the way that we live our lives. Let's look at the other two if we claim statements. Check out verses 8 through 10. Verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But, verse 9, this is the one you underline, this is the one you highlight, this is the one you memorize. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. But let's look at that second if we claim statement in verses 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sins, Without sin, John says that we are lying to ourselves. And I want to camp out here for just a minute. Because we have to continually admit that we have messed up. We're broken and we're fallen and we've made mistakes. We have to take time to hit pause as, as students and adults and kids and recognize that we have to evaluate ourselves and ask this ever important question. Am I walking in the light or in darkness right now? If we'll take time to pause and sit and ponder that question, not that we're our own Savior, not that we're the boss of our lives, but we're honestly looking and evaluating ourselves and saying, am I making holy choices? Am I making decisions? Am I, are my actions reflecting Jesus? Or am I getting in the way? Are people looking at me and feeling confused about what God is all about? Or are they looking at me and saying, okay, that's what light looks like. Scripture says if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we know on the flip side of that that we have to confess sin. Why? So that we can begin to admit our need for truth and our need for light. Here's the good news that comes to those who admit that they need help or that they admit to messing up. Verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to also cleanse us. He takes our messy lives and he purifies us. He justifies us. He makes, our right, he makes us righteous without any help from us. 
He does the work of saving us and purifying us and redeeming us and restoring us back to himself. And he places us back in the light so that we can know where to go and how to live. When we found out the news that hope was going to be transported, I I told you I had a big dad decision to make. Because the ambulance was coming to get her and all of our family lives in Jackson. We've got grandparents in Jackson, the boys are in Jackson. And it was a pretty easy decision for me to say, I'm, I'm going to Vanderbilt with her. I'll go by myself. I don't care if I have to sleep on the hospital floor. I'm not leaving that little girl. That was, that was a no-brainer for me. I wasn't going to leave her until we got back to the house and got her reunited with Mama. That wasn't one of those decisions where I had to really contemplate that long. It was me telling the nurse, hey, guess what? I'm coming too. I love my child, and I wasn't going to go anywhere. And it wasn't like I needed her to start improving for me to stick around. Hey, if your oxygen level could just be a little bit higher, I won't go to the food court right now. Hey, if you, if you could just, um, you know, like get rid of this arrhythmia, I'll, I'll, I'll stick around. I won't go back to Jackson. Church, I wasn't waiting on my daughter to improve for her progress to get better in order for me to stay. Even if her condition worsened, I wasn't going anywhere because I'm her dad. Now hear me on this. I am not a perfect father. You ask my boys, I have lost my temper. I have. I'm not a perfect dad. But I'll tell you what I learned that week. That oftentimes I, I, I think, you know what, God, I haven't, I haven't lived up to par. I've been living in darkness, and I'm sure you probably have left, and you got other things to do, and, and, I'll, and I'll, try to, I'll try to pick it up so that you can come back to me. Church, I've got that so backwards. We've got a heavenly Father that is faithful. He sticks around no matter what our condition is. He's faithful and just, and he's waiting on us. He's waiting on us. He is in, he is in the NICU right there with you. Our God is faithful. He is faithful to forgive us, graciously save us. The most simple way I know to say this is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In other words, grace is the gift that God has given us. Our faith is a response to that gift of grace, and Christ is the reason. But if we don't ask ourselves that question of, do I need forgiveness of sins, we arrive at the third if we claim statement, which is at the end of verse 10. And this is one of the most dangerous Because if we think or believe that nothing is wrong with us, that we haven't sinned, we make God a liar. And we don't know the truth. Friends, in Romans, Scripture tells us that no one is righteous, not even one. So what is the takeaway here? Where do we go from here? Today, I want to ask you and challenge you and encourage you to acknowledge your need for Jesus. You may already have a relationship with him, and that's great, but I want to encourage you to continue to acknowledge your need for him. To not make your relationship with Jesus a one-time thing, but to make it a continual thing where you're continually saying, I want to live in the light. Students, tomorrow the enemy is going to be coming after you. You just had a great weekend. You got to worship. You got to spend time with Jesus. The enemy wants nothing more than to squelch that. To halt any sort of growth and to ruin any sort of decisions or commitments that you've made this week. Let me warn you against that. 
Understand the value in saying, okay, I'm going to spend time with my heavenly father because I, I'm not interested in what the enemy is selling. I acknowledge my need for Jesus. My, my prayer is that you would continue to pray, Lord, I, I pray that I want you more. That I'll desire you more. That we would primarily understand that without Christ we live in darkness. That we constantly need the light of life. That we constantly always need Jesus. So how can we do that? How can we practically live in the light? Number one, we can practice fellowship with God and others. That's how we can practically live in the light. We can practice fellowship with God and others. I know that there's Sunday school. I know that there's community groups jumping in. This is a great way for you to jump in and to practice fellowship with other believers. Church, we need accountability. We need to submit to one another for other people to call us out, to hold us accountable, to challenge us, to push us to grow, to call us out when we're living in darkness. That's how the church is designed. That's what community looks like. That's what it looks like horizontally, right, students? That's what it looks like horizontally to live in community, but we also have to live in community and fellowship with our Heavenly Father, we have to focus on that vertical relationship where we're spending individual time with Him in prayer and in Bible study that we're continue, continually honest with ourselves and honest with God with where we're at. Lord, I'm, I'm not making good choices right now. Give me, give me wisdom. God, I'm sorry. Take time to ponder and pray. Have real conversations with the Lord. Have real conversations with other people. Stop saying that everything's good, everything's fine, and be real. Be real with God, be real with other people. That's how genuine community starts. In addition to practicing fellowship with God and others, we have to practice confession of sin. We have to remember how we run back to Jesus is through confession. He is faithful, it says in verse 9, if we confess our sins. He is ready to forgive you since he's already paid, he's, he already has forgiven you. He's paid the ultimate price of your sin debt through his death on the cross. And he will not only forgive you, it says, but he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. All means all, church. All sin, all darkness, and he will set you back on the right track. We get rid of this darkness because of who Christ is. Not because all of a sudden we decide to stop doing bad stuff. We recognize that we are hopeless without him. We step out of darkness and into his marvelous light by practicing confession. Thirdly, and lastly, how do we live in the light? We, we practice proclaiming truth. We practice proclaiming truth, and not just proclaiming truth to ourselves, but also to others. It's important to practice proclaiming truth to yourself because the enemy loves to lie. The enemy loves to lie to you and say, ah, it's not that bad. But I'll tell you this, if you're, if you're grossed out by your sin, that's a good start. That's a good start. As you proclaim that truth to yourself, that God desires you, that he has made you, that you are an image bearer, you combat against the lies of the enemy. You combat against things like anxiety and depression and fear because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You proclaim that truth to yourself, and in addition to proclaiming that truth for, to yourself, as John has already said, please, please, please proclaim truth to others. Because they need to hear it. You have hope. 
You have a God who loves you and you have a relationship with that God and you know other people around you in your circles that don't. Do not hog the hope of the world. Share it boldly. And I'm not telling you you have to go and learn how to be an evangelist. Just be a faithful disciple. That's what success looks like. It's being faithful. Just as our Heavenly Father is faithful, we practice proclaiming truth to ourselves and to those around us because that is where our joy is made complete. The truth of God's Word, man, it's, it's worthwhile. And I don't know where you are today in your relationship with the Lord. I don't know if you're the type that says, you know what, I'm definitely walking in the light. I'm confident in it. I've surrounded myself with like-minded people. I've surrounded myself with people that that love me and are challenging me and encouraging me and we pray together and we disciple one another. Maybe for you today, if you're honest, truly honest with yourself, you're walking in darkness. Your actions and your words and, and, and the conduct, uh, uh, even, even the, the, your heart is, is dark. I would encourage you to be honest with yourself because the cool part about Jesus is he already knows that. But he's desiring for you to step in, to, to, to receive him, because he's waiting on you. Scripture says that he is faithful and just. If you're wandering around in darkness and you keep feeling like, I don't really know what my purpose is. I don't really know where my joy comes from. Church, hear me on this. Your joy can be found in Jesus Christ. He loves you and he's desiring you and he desires a relationship with you. Students, if I can tell you one more time, he desires for you to connect with him. Church, will you receive him? In just a minute, I want to I pray and I want to give you the opportunity to respond. I want to I ask you, are, are you hurting? Or is your conduct in such a way that you're walking in darkness? Is your, is your life, is it really hard to know where to turn? Allow me to invite you to receive him today. In just a minute, our pa- your, your pastors will be down front. You have the opportunity, as soon as I finish praying, to, to respond. You can respond in the pew. You can respond where you're seated. But to evaluate yourself and ask the question, am I living in the light or am I living in darkness? That is a worthwhile question. And more importantly than that, do I have Jesus as number one in my life? Am I making him famous? Do I value that more than anything else? Is my relationship with God primary? Because everything else is going to fall into place. Will you receive him today? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you that you are trustworthy. God, that you are dependable, that you are just. God, that we can believe you for who you say you are. God, you've got a great track record of, of forgiving people that are broken and messed up, and we know that that's not going to change. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. Lord, for, for Huntington First Baptist Church, Father, I pray that today they would, they would practice fellowship with you, practice fellowship with one another, that they would practice confession, Lord, that they would practice proclaiming truth to themselves and others around them. Lord, I pray for students. Or as they enter the zone, as they leave the zone, as they're at their schools, God, I pray that they would know what it means to hit pause, to hit connect, and to live life and play. Embracing the mission that you have called them to. 
God, for the church as a whole, I pray that people would continue to respond to the love and the goodness and the grace that you offer. And Lord, that people would ultimately walk in the light. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the chance to gather together today. And I also pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church.